Welcome to the Demisery Podcast, where I, Liz Hansen, read essays I've written about confronting and moving on from loss, grief, and shame. My hope is to normalize conversations around miscarriage, mental health, and all kinds of losses and traumas that compound the older we get. After my own miscarriages, I wanted nothing more than to hear stories from women about how they made it through. So here's mine. Know that you're not alone and that there are many healing paths to pursue. Thanks for listening. Content warning. Topics include miscarriage, infant mortality, grief, and raw freaking emotion. There was Kleenex nearby. There's a sequence that imprinted into my memory bank the day the sad thing happened. A loop of fragmented images around the trauma, but not the actual trauma. I had an exposed vagina. There was Kleenex nearby. I asked for some, and then I started to cry. Those could be the opening lyrics of a shitty punk song called Fucking Miscarriages, but thankfully they're not. Nobody wants to hear that song, especially me who lived it. So yes, it's true. My vagina was exposed. There was Kleenex nearby. I asked for some, and then I started to cry. I'm having trouble finding a heartbeat, the OB said as she moved the vaginal ultrasound around inside me. But sometimes, she craned her neck, her chin tilting back, then circling down and around, as if her chin controlled the ultrasound, or maybe the ultrasound wand controlled her chin. I mean, what is an MD if not a fleshy mouthpiece for diagnostic tools? I could tell she was trying to buy time when she added a bunch of what she tried to pass off as casual sing-songy pauses. Sometimes the babies just like to tuck away. She's telling me these words as I'm laying on an exam table with my legs in stirrups my vagina exposed mid-probe. It was taking too long for her to decipher the imagery. I knew it couldn't be good, but I didn't suspect it was bad until she froze. That's when danger crept into the room like a drunk uncle past midnight, a fog of dread as wily and expansive as a vape cloud. It swirled around, filling into corners, and I knew I'd have to breathe it in, but I held my breath for as long as I could. I didn't want to feel the next part. We were both still. It was eerily quiet. Time took on a slow motion filter setting, car accident slow. That flow when your focus becomes miraculously sharp in critical situations. I knew my next move. Prepare for the news, Liz. Just get ready to hear the news. Get ready for a snotty, ugly cry. I scanned the room and zeroed in on a box of Kleenex next to the sink. May I have those tissues? The doc sprung away from between my legs on her roller stool, gliding over to the sink so quickly she left the ultrasound inside me like an exhausted vibrator, radiating too much heat, microwaving my womb. I didn't dare look her in the eyes when she handed me the entire box. I quickly withdrew a bunch of tissues, one, two, three, and a wad, and began to dab my eyes that were leaking in anticipation. It was the morning of December 3rd, 2015. I was 41 years old. 
Matthew, my baby daddy and partner, dropped me off at the UCSF Mission Bay OBGYN clinic for my 20-week checkup. He went on to work at his nearby woodshop. He was going to return an hour later for the highly anticipated anatomy scan, where we'd get to see the baby for the first time and make sure it was growing properly. We'd decided against learning the sex organs of the baby, wanting it to be a surprise, and joked that the kid better not have a big dick and spoil it. So I was in the medical exam room without him. The medical assistant did all the preliminary checks, blood pressure, temperature, weight, and oddly I'd lost two pounds. She didn't seem concerned, said it happens, but I had this sick feeling. Not that something was wrong, but out of pride. Like how lucky I was that I wasn't going to be one of those women who ballooned during pregnancy. It was a brand new building, a sparkling clean office, and the room had that plastic off-gassing smell that new cars have. I can feel the brightness. I can smell the toxic plastics. I remember how unmarred and clean all the screens and keyboards and table and chairs were, and I think, fuck, that's where, that unsullied newness is where the moment before, before the doctor, before I had an exposed vagina, there was Kleenex nearby. I asked for some, and then I started to cry. It's a loop, an emotional glitch of the moments that preceded the moment, the moment that ripped into my psyche and lodged itself into a deep and clingy grief, the moment before the acknowledgement of the demise. The what? Yes, the demise. You have your 20-week anatomy scan right after this appointment? She asked. I could feel how scared I was, throat constricting, afraid to speak or part my lips, for fear that out would emerge a rageful roar. They have much stronger imaging capacity over there. Let me see if they can take you right now. She left the room, and I was alone with my thoughts, my fear, remembering the other two times I was in a doctor's office, presumably for a prenatal checkup, only to find out, game over. The first time I was hemorrhaging in the office, 10 weeks along or so. Second time I was with Matthew at St. Luke's. It was our first appointment, and the HG levels were low. I got my RH negative shot, and we went home. We stopped trying to get pregnant after that. Back-to-back miscarriages. Too much to process. The doctors told me, the good news is that you can get pregnant. For better or worse, I'm expert at being medically prone and told sad things about my body that I can't control. Given diagnoses that have intensely sharp emotional impacts on me for years and decades to come. I know how to be the good patient and swallow my rageful protestations against terrifying diagnoses, invasive procedures, and unpleasant treatment options. And it's from those experiences where I try to draw hope as I wait for the doctor to return and reveal my fate. I think, I got this. No, I'm actually good at this. You were made for this. Which is its own self-punishing idea. Not a humble brag, but fucking bullshit. I was officially indoctrinated, no pun intended, into the medical industrial complex when I was eight. One fine day in 1983, I had bloody diarrhea. Cut to 10 years of living with ulcerative colitis and all the invasive procedures gastroenterologists perform on patients, what I call pediatric sodomy. I'm here to perform an enema. 
is something I was likely told repeatedly. Then someone performs like they are the enema. That's what I wish had happened. It never did. So yeah, I've had many experiences that can be lumped together as, quote, medical vulnerability. I've been poked and prodded and medicated so much that I roll my eyes at doctors who lack assured tones when delivering bad or good news. Their lack of nerve disappoints me. Medically vulnerable people who have endured invasive diagnostics and therapies are stronger than often recognized. The ego-driven type of doctors, most of them, fail to acknowledge that wisdom can emerge from that fortitude and resilience. It drives me crazy to be treated by supposed experts who have little to no experience with any personal infirmity. What's the point? The exam room door opens suddenly and the OB rolls in a huge piece of imaging equipment. It's two-thirds the size of a refrigerator, and in my memory, I like to make it the robot from Lost in Space. Boxy, but gangly, a queenie machine with personality, instead of a crystal ball of doom. She gets the machine set up and has me lift up my shirt so she can coat my belly in goo. Give it to me straight, I want to yell. Or at least some flippant eye contact. This has gone on too long now and I'm ready for the eye contact. But she won't meet my gaze, which means she's hiding something that she's clearly doing a bad job of hiding. Fear and anguish cannot be hidden, neither can grief. They leak from pores and eyeballs. This doctor I'd literally just met, she was one of several in the UCSF OBGYN practice. And she was trying to stay upbeat and hopeful, she really was. But good grief, she wasn't in any easy position about to tell a complete stranger traumatizing news. The doctors who have little to no understanding of, or acknowledgement of, or experience with vulnerability, these are often clinicians who find solace in the certainty of science and particular data sets, biological data, which isn't the same thing as human data. To be a patient is to be the complete focus of a doctor's attention, and yet made to feel invisible, as if you could never understand the complicated thing they're seeing which ironically is you, the you that only you can be and feel. The docs hold back what they see, and what they see has never felt like any nuanced or emotional version of me, the version of me that I'm experiencing in that moment, terrorized. Can I blame them? Who wants to look at terror? It's unfathomable, by design. I had an exposed vagina. There was Kleenex nearby. I asked for some, and then I started to cry. Then my usual doctor, the second OB, comes into the room, Dr. Z. I can tell by her intensity that she's been pulled in here unexpectedly. I can feel her adrenaline, and then I'm really worried because she's the poster child for cultivated calm. Like Renee Zellweger, pretty, with tiny sparkle eyes and an assured, slow-talking manner. But today it's different. She's giving me the piercing intensity of a Reese Witherspoon. Dr. Z looks at me in the actual eyes. I want to say she grabbed my hand, you know, made an actual connection. Breathe, breathe, breathe. We're going to see if this machine can get us a different angle on the baby. I don't want to send you over to the anatomy scan building that's asking you to wait too long. Too long for what? I don't ask. I don't want the answer. Dr. Z takes over and glides the scanner over my belly, a slow-motion air hockey. 
as the initial doctor watches from over her shoulder. I watch Dr. Z's face recluse. She slows down. I can see her focus sharpen as her hand remains still on one part of my abdomen. I crane to see if I can make sense of what's on the screen that's cheated away from me. All I see is a blurry black and white fetal profile that looks like an image from a drunk Xerox machine. I gather she's taking some kind of measurement of the baby's cranium. There's a digital line drawn from the back of the skull to the front. And then she turns to the other OB standing over her shoulder and they silently lock eyes. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And that's when I know it's over. It's over. It's over. This pregnancy is donezo. Thank God she cuts to the chase. The baby's head size measures at 14 to 15 weeks of growth, she says. Nobody says anything after that. We all know I'm 20 weeks. I do the math, and 20 minus 14 or 15 equals a dead baby. Inside me, five weeks, dead baby. Inside me, six weeks. I had an exposed vagina, dead baby. Over a month, there was Kleenex nearby. Over a month, I asked for some, dead baby. Then I started to sob. Dr. Z suggested I call my husband and have him meet us here in the exam room. All I remember is fumbling for my phone and feeling the need to correct her. Oh, we're not married. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to this essay series or find me, Liz Hansen, you can do so at demisery.com. D-E-M-I-S-E-R-Y.com. Don't forget to be nice to yourself. Healing wishes to all.